0: All right, so continuing on here with some of the learnings as we build out our community here at Invest in Square Feet, this hit me probably about six months ago. So I am by no means an early adopter on this uh, particular topic, but for years I always heard how important it was to be on social media and keep posting and always have that presence, and I never it never really dawned on me, it never really uh, it hit me why that is so important. So. What really did this for me was considering this idea of hub and spoke type content, right? So your hub content, which for me could be this podcast, this could be considered a core piece of content that we're creating. And then spokes are all of these spin-offs that we're creating, that we're posting on social media and all of that, that are giving bite size chunks of whatever that core content is to people as they learn about us and start following us right that that little breadcrumb trail or those little bite-sized pieces the goal of that is to constantly be in people's lives constantly have things that are showing up in their lives, on their feeds, so that they can start to realize, hey, you know what? I like this person and I want to learn more about them. I want to start following them. So that's the whole purpose of making sure that you're posting on all of the various different platforms. And I know some people have ideas that they want to focus on this platform and that's fine, but understand that you are losing out on opportunity if you're not posting on all of the social media platforms. So all of those posts on the social media platforms, all of those breadcrumbs that you're leaving all over the place, again, essentially those are just paths to lead back to whatever your core content is or whatever your core thing is. So that was a realization that really opened up my eyes that made me realize, okay, yeah, I get it now. I understand why it is so important to be able to post on social media All right, so if you are an accredited business owner, go ahead and check us out at investinsquarefeet.com. We are building out this community specifically for business owners who want to increase their net worth by investing in real estate. So go ahead and check us out, investinsquarefeet.com. So today's guest is Paul Montalongo. who Paul is what I would consider a true entrepreneur. For many years, he has traveled across the country and jumped into many different types of businesses, and we cover a lot of that today. But the one thing that we're going to really dive in deep here today is how to look for and identify how the possibilities of adding additional revenue to your business and what that impact can actually have on the bottom line value of whatever that business might be. Again, we get into many different types of businesses that Paul has had throughout his career, and he's constantly and consistently done this in each one of them.
1: So, with that, let's jump into the show. I'm sure it was. If I, if you could, if we could pan my office right now, I have three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have eight. Posters in my office of motivational quotes and things that I like to listen to. So yes, I do think it was an impact. My first inspirational book or my first motivational book was a book called Instant Replay. I read that twice in the summer of being 14, oh, when I was 14 years old. A story about Vince Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers and he how he took them to the championships. And all of his strategies and tactics and motivational things. So, I read that twice, and I think I, I think that set me on a path to to be interested in this. My current book right now that I'm reading uh, for the second time, by the way, is Eleven Rings by Phil Jackson, and the story mm-hmm. of yeah, the story of his journey in coaching the the Chicago Bulls and the uh, the Los Angeles Lakers to to championships, right? And all of his leadership. And the reason I'm reading that book is because it's a book about leadership. And what I'm sensing right now in my career is that my 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 call to leadership has been louder. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm keeping boned up and refreshed up on leadership skills. But yeah, I think it set me on a course, and I've been not just interested but involved in personal development, personal improvement my entire life. And I think I hope it served me well, and yeah. it served those around me as well. Yeah.
0: yeah, Have you read Ultimate Leadership by Jocko Willick before?
1: I have not. I've heard him on podcasts, but I've not read the book.
0: Yeah, it is a fantastic book. Really, it shifted my mindset about leadership too, so I would highly suggest that one. It's really good. I'll make a note. I'm a fan of Jocko, so I'll make yeah. a note. Yeah. You mentioned a second ago about uh, your lifelong exploration of leadership and teaching and all of that, what other types of things have you realized about yourself or other paths you've gone down
1: in that vein? Yeah. At this place in my life, I'm obviously, if you take a look at my hair, I'm an experienced (laughs) citizen. Exactly. (laughs) And I I always
0: say people spend a lot of money to try to get rid of all the grays. I'm like, I worked damn hard for all these (laughs) grays. I'm going to sport them.
1: Yes. It's very in vogue, by the way. Yeah. But the reason I mention that is because I've seen an evolution and change in my own personal life. Early as a young man, 20s and 30s, I was very driven and very workaholic and very, uh, not very balanced. And so as I've moved through my life and career, I feel like I have more balance. And balance is a crazy thing. I'm not a fan of balance per se. It's like when you're in a thing, you need to dedicate everything to it. And you need to dedicate all of your energy to it. And at the same time, I see where I can dedicate a a tremendous amount of energy to several things. And so I call that balance, personal, relationship, physical, health, etc. So I I think it served me in terms of taking a look at the evolutionary path of my life. Very early on, I think I was in my 30s. I read a book by... um, Oh boy I'm gonna I, her name escapes me, but but anyway it was it, it was a, bu- a book about the phases or stages of a man's life and how in his 20s he's very sports driven or at competitive driven 30s you dedicate to making your money 40s you have a reevaluation in your life 50s you're you're really an earner 60s you're into contribution and and so forth and, and those are very broad, brushes that I've just painted, very broad strokes that I've just painted. But I have seen that in my own journey take place. So I think the biggest thing that being involved in personal development has done for me is create an awareness of where I am in my life, in the journey of my life. I love that. I love that. And that's
0: something that a lot of people I don't think necessarily identify or realize that there are stages of life that we're all going through. And Impacts that we've Mm -hmm. suffered through in the various different, you know, times in our lives. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Let's get into a little bit of the real estate side of things. You've obviously been very successful in what you have done, and you're doing some cool new things. And actually, you, We'll get into that. We'll get into that in a second. Talk a little bit about how you got involved in real estate originally. Was it, you said you were flipping houses at first and that was going, talk a little bit about that process and that progression.
1: My first experience in real estate was at 17 years old, I bought a raw piece of dirt. My father said, go invest in real estate. And so I found a little triangle piece of dirt in a cul-de-sac in San Antonio, Texas, And with the money I had saved working summers, I paid $7,500 for this small tract of dirt. And I was going to build a house and sell the house on a speculative basis, but I had no clue. I I had no clue on how to build a house. So two years later, I sold that piece of dirt for $15,000. So I doubled my money and I did the first thing that every real estate investor is supposed to do. I went and spent it all on a a motorcycle and a truck. (laughs) <laughs> a couple of years later, I bought a, a small house and I improved it and flipped it. And I bought the house across the street. I improved it and flipped it. And then before long, I just started buying single family residences and flipping them and, and renting them. And then I would do some light commercial and those sorts of things. And, and all of this while I had my construction company and while I had my insurance restoration company. And so I've just had a whole career of doing real estate in one form or another. And then in 2013, someone... A friend of mine said, would you like to buy a marina? And I said, no, because I had no clue how to buy a marina. This is a marina and RV park. But then I started looking at the numbers and uh, this particular transaction, the team needed someone with business experience to sign on the loan. They needed some cash to sign on the loan and they needed someone to actually live in the state of the investment, which happened to be North Carolina. I was single at the time I was living in Las Vegas and this made a lot of sense to me. And so one day I woke up and I had 115 boats. And so we bought this, we bought this Marina, we bought this RV park all combined together on 14 acres there on a lake in North Carolina. We removed the RVs and we built 38 tiny homes and we put them in place and we became an Airbnb super host. So, at one point, we had 13 streams of revenue on this property, boat club, boat rental, uh, Airbnbs, membership, events, et cetera, some storage, parking, et cetera. And so we had 13 streams of revenue, and, it, and that, was, that taught me the power of multiple checks on one single transaction. Again, fortunately, I had a couple of gentlemen that were in that deal with me that mentored me. They had already been buying apartments, and they said, you need to go buy apartments. And so they mentored me, and they taught me how to buy apartments. And so since then, I've transacted through over a 1,000 apartments, and we currently have over a 1,000 units. And so it's just been the progression, one thing built upon another. And so here we are today in 2023 with this experience, yeah.
0: Yeah. So when you moved in in 2013, you left the construction company and the insurance company behind or did that was that able to come with you so that you had that with with you in North Carolina?
1: So I actually left those or actually sold them off and closed them in early 2000. okay. And then I moved. The reason I moved to Las Vegas is because I had a, a real estate training call center and the workforce was plentiful in Las Vegas for people that could dial for dollars. And so I, I moved out there. And while I lived out there, I invested in the Inland Empire in California because foreclosures and the foreclosure market had really hit the market strong. And that was an opportunity to, again, continue to do what I knew how to do, which was flip houses, buy houses, and flip them. And the foreclosure market made that possible. So during that time frame, there, I continued to do the real estate, and then, and then I closed the company and we, I was basically, I wasn't, I w- I was living in Las Vegas and, and just doing some real estate. And then I got this opportunity. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Talk a little bit about, and this is something that we'll talk more in future episodes on the show, but I feel like you have, you have some experience in jumping into things that you might not necessarily know or understand, right? Like the Marina, that was a business that you didn't necessarily know or understand. And there's this new concept, fund of funds. It's an opportunity where you're able to help raise money for various different opportunities, right? But yet those opportunities might not have anything that they might not be in verticals that you have any experience in. So Talk a little bit about your mindset and the way that you approach these opportunities, being able to see this is a good opportunity. These are numbers that make sense for a marina. I've never run a marina, but again, the numbers make sense, right? So there's some unknown there as to what are those sort of baseline numbers? What is it I should be looking for? that you would have had to have identified that said, yeah, this does make sense. Does any of that resonate? And does anything come to mind as far as being able to identify when something is a good opportunity, even if you might not have all of the clarity behind all of the, the things behind it, if that makes sense?
1: Makes total sense. And that's a very good observation. If I take a look at the history, my history, I have jumped into things that I did not know 100% about in fact a lot of times i didn't know 20% about them <laughs> they just seemed to be a good idea and they seemed to fit into the things that i knew i don't think i would ever start a technology company because i'm that's that's not my that's not my brain mm-hmm. but a real estate company or an investment or an air conditioning company or we'll talk in a minute storage and th- these kinds of things they all seem to make sense to me but I've done that when I was a professional speaker for 10 years. So I I had no professional speaking training, but that seemed to make sense to me. I, I went out and did sales training and sales leadership training, those kinds of things. And that started by request, and then it just seemed to make sense. But to your point, I, I don't think that I am one of those that gets paralyzed by analytics. Mm-hmm. So I'll see something. It seems to be an opportunity I'll give it some thought. I'll check in with, to see how it resonates with me, and then I'll start doing my own confirmation bias. It's okay. I have experience in this, and I have experience in this, and I have an experience in this. These things will fit into this new venture, and and I like the opportunity to learn something on the fly. I like the opportunity of learn learning having on the job training. That just seems to have worked for me. And I have the confidence to know that I will make it work. Now, that confidence came from a historical pattern of other things working. By the way, everything hasn't always worked. (laughs) Let's be clear about that. In fact, I don't know what my ratio is, but probably 50% of the things that I've done have not worked. So... Let's be real clear about that. But that doesn't prevent me from looking at other opportunities. And uh, there's, there's an excitement there. There's a learning. There's an enthusiasm. And I hold this belief. And that belief that is everything that I have done up to this point, professionally, personally, spiritually, educationally, has prepared me for this moment. And so... If I, as long as I look at it from that perspective, I will find those resources within to get the thing done today. At this conversation and everything that I'm going to experience today, I have, I probably have, I have to look at my calendar, but I probably have a dozen meetings today. So everything that is happening today will prepare me for something next week. And that's a mindset. And I think I hold that mindset most of the time. And that I think that served me and served me well.
0: So you jumped into the marina side of things and you grew that into 13 different streams of income too, right? What type of mindset do you have when it comes to running a business? Like you, you mentioned too, that even to, to get that marina, that someone had to have business experience and running a business, right? So talk a little bit about how you look at an opportunity and then how do you say, here's another revenue stream that we can start with this, right? Because we've tried to do this in certain situations as well. Like in multifamily, for instance, we tried to sell air purifiers because it was right in the middle of COVID. We thought everybody was going to want these air purifiers and nobody bought them, right? So it was an income stream that ended up blowing up in our face because we had to file sales taxes and all of that because we started going down this path, right? So it ended up just being a big pain in the butt. So Talk a little bit about how you identify additional revenue streams and figure out whether or not this is a good opportunity or a bad opportunity. Is it? Let's try this and see if it actually works, or is there a little bit more thought that's put into it and says you you feel like yes, this is a good path to be able to really realize this
1: as an income opportunity. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. Yes, and I, there there are two things that I'm I've learned that I'm pretty good at. And one is discovering opportunity in a transaction or in a business and two, selling it. So selling the idea to myself, selling the idea to our team, selling the idea to investors, selling the idea to customers. So I looked at the history of my life and said, Okay, those are two skill business skill sets that I'm fairly adept at. So once I see an opportunity, let's just say multifamily. And we have numerous apartment complexes. And so we're always digging in, okay, can we do this for additional revenue? What What's the cost offset to do this? And um, a lot of these ideas I pick up from listening to podcasts or reading books or hanging out with other entrepreneurs. Uh, most of them I do. And if I hear an opportunity, I'm like, okay, how will that fit into something that I'm doing? And then we test it and we do we do some analysis of it and we see if it works. And then once it works, then we d- dig into it and we go, okay, how can we make it work better? <laughs> and, and that's where I think the magic is. Uh, because an idea of its own is great, but an idea that you can improve on is even better. And then because I'm able to do that, and because I'm able to see the results, of, that makes it more friendly for me to pass that along to someone else, investors, team, lenders, etc. So I can air quotes, I can sell the idea to people that, that can help. And so those are the two skill sets that I think that I've been able to um, accomplish in my career that have served me and helped me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Yeah, that's really powerful.
0: Let's dive into the self storage. So let's first let's recap here, right? So you started with your own construction company, your own insurance company, and then that went to telemarketing or a a call center, the marina, the multifamily, and, and now here's a new opportunity or a new idea of the storage unit. So you've you're jumping back into another opportunity. Uh, Now we're seeing in typical Paul fashion, where you said that you read a book about self-storage and here you are making this happen. So talk a little (laughs) bit about the realization or the the process of what made you want to get involved with self-storage? How did you identify the location? All of that type of stuff. Like how did you get involved
1: in this project? Yeah, thanks. You just triggered a memory, by the way. When I started that call center, I had no idea. I literally purchased a book called Call Centers for Dummies. (laughs) I love it. And it's in my library over here and it's dated because, and then I read it and so forth. It wasn't that convenient with the storage. So what brought us to storage was we see in the multifamily space, a lot of competition and we see the market changing. And we felt as a team, as a company, we wanted to diversify. And we have some infrastructure that works. We have some asset management, some property management, some construction management, infrastructure in our company that's working well so we thought okay what else can we expand into that will be profitable and storage seemed to be natural the natural expansion of that now i was able to remember all the stuff that i've done in the past to help me today so i was a builder for many years and so I hadn't built anything new in about ten years. I was buying existing product and rehabbing existing product. So this notion of building something new from the ground was exciting. And so my wife and I, we purchased uh, eight point six, yeah, eight point six seven acres in South San Antonio last year, and we've spent the the, the year getting architectural plans and engineering and permitting. And we're just a few, we're just a couple of months away from breaking ground. And then this is going to be 507 units, brand new product. It'll be a class A product so that we have the potential of selling it to a national firm. All they have to do is come put their branding and their colors on it. But we've consulted with the best architects and the best builders in the state of Texas so that we can build a first class product. And we have options. It's if we want to sell it to a national brand, great. If we want to keep it as a legacy product, great. If we want to refinance and we have numerous options there. We're only building on the front part of the acreage. We're saving the the second part of the acreage for phase two. Again, options. So it, it seemed like the next natural thing for us to do. We originally found that piece of property and thought we might build some multifamily apartments on it. But we commissioned feasibility studies, and the feasibility studies brought us to self storage. So once we started drilling down into that asset class, then we really made the commitment. We're very excited about it, and in fact, you'll resonate with this. It's like when you expose yourself to a certain thinking or to a certain kind of business, all of a sudden, all of these other people start coming in with with these the same kind of business. So we've had multiple opportunities from people to either buy existing storage or develop on the land that they have or to partner with them to build on the land that they have. And so we're holding those off at the moment because we really want to get our project underway and understand what we're doing so that we can become an expert in it. And then we'll open ourselves up to other opportunities like that. But we're very excited about it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Self-storage has always been one of those things that's been on the list of, again, typical entrepreneur, right? There's always something more, something else to learn, right? So it's always been on our list to, to check out also. When you purchased that land, you mentioned that originally it was, you're thinking of doing multifamily on it. Did you go through any of the process, you obviously you went through the feasibility study, realized that it might not have been good for multifamily. Did you go through the process of identifying like how close other self-storages were and what the density was and all of that? Talk a little bit about that process that you would go through to identify, yeah, this is an underserved area from a storage perspective, if, you, if anything comes to mind there as far as that process is concerned.
1: So let's reiterate what, what we've said about my historical past. Everything that has happened will serve me now. So if you're a multifamily owner and you're wanting to diversify, I highly recommend storage because a lot of the same elements are true. You're looking at unit size. You're looking at unit cost per square foot, what you will rent it for, what your rent growth, what's your expense ratio, all of those metrics that you look for in a multifamily product, you're looking for in self-storage. The only difference is you have a little smaller square footage and you don't have as much personnel. Yes, we did uh, market research. The nearest professional class A uh, storage facility to us is four and a half miles away. And we discovered that in the industry, they should be two miles apart. So anything less than two two and a half miles uh, is 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 your average there, and so that was favorable to us. And we looked at the density, and we looked at the absorption rate. Uh, we looked at the unit mix. So we went through several iterations of unit mix to find out what the maximum unit mix and maximum net rentable square foot was that we could put in place. We also looked at what was the market saying about who's going to rent climate controlled, who's going to rent non-climate controlled. And so all the demographics and numbers of people moving into the area, numbers of doors of people that don't have garages. So this is a very dense area with apartment complexes and apartment complexes don't typically have a lot of storage. So it made it natural for this product to be on the ground. So all of those metrics, all of those evaluations came into play. Our first feasibility study said we should build 420 units. We then commissioned another one and they said we should build 587 units. So we landed somewhere right in the middle because there was an upgrade or excuse me, there was an update in the marketplace over the, the time span. So that's how we made those decisions to put that kind of product on the ground. Yeah,
0: yeah. So this facility has the way that I'm picturing self storage is a bunch of garage doors. There, some are ten by ten, some are twenty by twenty, whatever. But you also have do you have larger doors where you can store you RVs maybe or have shops or anything like that in there? What's what
1: is this? What does this complex look like? What's it comprised of? This is very vanilla. (laughs) Again, as a result of the feasibility studies and the market research, the research told us in this particular area we don't need covered rv's parking cuz this is a this is a path to progress right now and there's a lot of land out there that people can just park their rv's on so this the this the research on this particular product showed us about half of those units are climate controlled the other half are non climate controlled the non climate controlled are drive up to type of products and then the climate controlled is drive up, go in a hallway where you have this whole mix of sizes that are all climate controlled. And that was all based on research. So it's pretty vanilla in the sense that everything is standardized, all the same size doors and all the same kind of locks and all the the same roof heights and, and everything. But the mix within the shell is what became important in terms of maximizing the revenue. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I don't
0: know if you're going to know this question or the answer to this question or not just because you haven't uh, really experienced it yet, but do you have any idea what the, how can I say this? Basically the lack of mechanicals comparing to multifamily, right? The mechanicals, plumbing, all of that type of stuff. There's always issues on that side of things by removing all of that. What is that? How does that impact your bottom line? Obviously, there's much less to go wrong. Do you have any idea how much more, I guess, how much more the cost per square foot might be based off of not having mechanicals there versus what the cost per square foot is on a multifamily where there's furnaces and plumbing and drains and all of that
1: stuff. Does that... It it does. I, I understand the question. And yeah, that's a piece of data that we'll know retroactively, we will know in the future, but I do know this. In that entire project, we have one toilet, one lavatory, so you have no plumbing. Mm -hmm. There's obviously electrical that serves the facility, but each individual unit does not have electrical. There's a central electrical wire, central electrical lighting system down the hallways, but each unit. So you're going to save some costs there. You're going to save some deferred maintenance and some service there. The trade-off is a storage facility needs more security. Uh, they need higher fences. They need operable 24 7 round around-the-clock gates, operable 24 7 round around-the-clock access to your facility in case something happens. So there's some trade-offs there, but some of your Typical headaches that you would have in the multifamily space you don't have in storage. I'm sure there are trade-outs and headaches. We're just we're waiting to find out what those are. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Remember, if
0: you are an accredited business owner looking to grow your net worth by investing in real estate, go ahead and check us out at investinsquarefeet.com. We are building a community of like-minded business owners who are looking to do exactly that, increase their net worth through real estate investments. Wasn't that great learning from Paul all kinds of different types of businesses that he's participated in over the years and how one core thing, and that is basically identifying income producing opportunities, can really explode your value of your asset? So, if you wanted to reach out and learn more about Paul, just go ahead and head to Montelongo Capital, which is M O N T E L. O N G O, again, M O N T E L O N G O capital.com, Montelongo capital.com. You can also check him out at Paul Montelongo on LinkedIn. He's on Instagram, Facebook, and he posts regularly. So go ahead and interact with him, and hopefully, you're going to learn quite a bit from Paul because he is definitely an action taker, and that's what we love here at Invest in Square Feet. <music>